Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. This is Richard Gearhart. And Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. At Passage to Profit, we're all about the creativity, energy, and excitement that comes from starting your own business. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Yes, people just like our listeners. People who are excited about taking a leap of faith and starting their own business. With so many tools and opportunities, there's never been a better time to start your own project. Get inspired by listening to Passage to Profit right here on WOR 710. You'll get great advice from those who made the journey and get great tips and inspiration. Tonight, we have as our special guest, Joshua Weiss, the CEO and founder of Teleapp. Joshua has been on the forefront of artificial intelligence, strategic planning, and business development for over 20 years. He has also significant expertise in business logic, whatever that is, and process automation. He also has created new products and successfully sold them in Walmart, Staples, Target, and many others. He enjoys building relationships and takes great satisfaction from engaging in work that helps facilitate growth. Welcome, Joshua. So why don't you tell us about Teleapp? Sure. We are a data analytic insights company. We have uh, a lot of deep machine learning experience, and our goal was to build a product uh, that we now call Fraud Detect, but... uh, when we started building the product, after about nine months, we realized that we really didn't have a powerful engine that would be running the product. So it's kind of like building a Corvette, and on the outside it looks great, but then when you open up the hood and look at the engine, it's like a 1980 Toyota Corolla. And <laughs> what a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, we were very disappointed. Um, at the time, it was just myself and my chief technology officer, Ian Matheson, Uh, We had been working out of coffee shops, uh, mostly Panera Bread in Edison, New Jersey. I remember you telling a story about that. The the Panera Bread, you actually worked there for like a number of years. Yeah. And you had like your own little space (laughs) kind of plotted out there in in the store, right? Oh, yeah. We were all the way in the back and we had a bunch of tables and uh, we were uh, politely asked not to run a business uh, out of a coffee (laughs) shop at some point in... uh, we call it the great exodus of uh, the summer of 2013. Um, when we were, uh, you know, strangers in a not-so-strange land, we had to find a, an office. So Ian and I are building this product, and we realized that we just don't have uh, the tech that's going to, you know, really run the product. just really isn't strong enough, and we didn't want to start selling something that we didn't feel confident in. And so we stopped building the product and started building the tech instead. And so we had to build an artificial intelligence engine that can detect, analyze, and predict human behavioral trends, or just trends in general. Um, and we can th- I can throw around a bunch of uh, fancy uh, buzzwords um, like deep machine learning, fuzzy logic, semantic reasoning. It's got all that jazz, and it's all proprietary. We built it ourselves, but it took us a long time to build. Now, you build apps for other people through Teleapp, right? Correct. So in the very beginning, when it was just me and Ian, nine months into it, I hadn't been contributing to the uh, family pot, as it were, financially for, you know, for the better part of that time. And after about a year, uh, my wife decided, along with uh, Ian's parents, that it was time for both of us to start making some money. And so (laughs) (laughs) you had avoided it as long as possible. Yeah. And we we had a problem. And uh, the answer came to me one morning as I was coming out of the shower. I said, well, you know, we know how to build software. Why don't we just build software for other people? And we'll use that uh, that revenue to underwrite our own product development. Now, I had already developed a lot of uh, relationships with uh, angel investors, and I-, I knew that we were just way too early stage to you know, be taken seriously. And so we had to have at least proof of concept. We had to have a launch. It would be really helpful if we would have had a client we were just uh, not in, in a good spot where we could raise any capital. So we started building software for other companies, um, and it worked. Uh, I was able to leverage some of my former uh, uh, relationships, and very quickly we had some clients. And we've built software that is in use right now at some major retail chains uh, like Walmart, Target, Staples. There's a whole bunch of supermarkets that use software that we've written. Uh, there are a bunch of airlines that are our clients. 
I would say, though, that our bread and butter has been really working with startups, uh, tech startups that have uh, a really strong uh, sales and product development team, but not really a very strong technical team, and they'll use us to write their software for them. So that's kind of not an uncommon model where you have an entrepreneur that is developing their major product sort of in parallel with providing some sort of service Mm -hmm. to somebody. So it happens in the biotech industry a lot. Somebody will have a a project that they're working on for some sort of new drug, but in the meantime, they're providing services to other companies, maybe doing formulation work, research, whatever. But one of the common things that I've heard is that going on this parallel track really slows down the development of the main project, right? So do you feel like this is a a good model for others to emulate? Do you recommend it, or should you avoid it if you can? So I would say that's not a very easy question to answer. It really depends a lot on the structure of the company, their skill sets, uh, their history, their abilities. I can tell you that it is very hard, and it has been extremely distracting. Um, The AI engine that we set out to build that we thought we could finish in a year took us about three years to finish because for, for about half that time, we were building software for other people. On my side, I should be spending my time talking to banks and trying to develop relationships. And instead, I am talking to uh, one-off clients or clients that we might have you know, several iterations for. Uh, for but um, as a tech startup like our, uh, our, our, our presenters today, they might outsource their tech in the beginning. But ultimately, if they grow, they're going to want to in-house everything. And so you know, they, they sort of outlive us. And so the sales cycle, you have to keep you know, finding new clients. We were talking earlier, why should clients use Teleapp to do their software instead of, say, someplace offshore? That depends a lot on the type of software that you're developing. On the product development side for, uh, for startups and tech companies, we build mostly smartphone and tablet-facing uh, solutions. That's just because that's what our clients ask of us. Um, on the enterprise side, it's almost all desktop and web, um, you know, in contrast. So for a tech startup that wants to use a company that is firmly grounded, has gotten a bazillion awards, is well-recognized, you know, this is our seventh year in business, we've been around the block, we have a lot of references, we're not the cheapest company out there, that's for sure. I would say that because we're in New Jersey, our cost of living is a little less than, say, some of the companies that are in Midtown Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little. We live in New Jersey, too, so uh-huh. I, I suppose that's true, but yep. anyway. Um, the most expensive uh, machines that we own uh, in our offices, I would say, are probably our bodies. The second uh, most expensive machines <laughs> are, are the computers that we They're have. They're priceless, right? Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, the computers that we have, everything else is just sheetrock, you know, so I would say that for every $100 that we charge, uh, it'll be twice or three times as expensive if you go to a company in New York City. If you are on a very tight budget and you don't have the ability to afford that $100 and all you have is 30 then you might end up outsourcing to a company overseas. We don't outsource any portion of our work. We are United States government contractors. Uh, we don't outsource anything we never have. I, I would say that we're also very good working with startups and understanding what it is that they're going to need and predicting the kind of problems that they'll run into. Um, and those are some of the good reasons that they should use us as compared to, to a sales company that just wants to sell them software. We're going to work with them. We'll help introduce them to our network of investors. Uh, we've even made introductions to some of our bigger clients for companies that we thought were appropriate. Wow, that is really full service and beyond. Is there any particular type of app, phone app, tablet app that you work on? Is it completely open, just whatever the client brings you? Do you have specialties like financial, gaming? For tech startups, um, it's usually a, a problem that they're trying to solve that is solvable by you know a $30 a month service or a $10 a month service. On the enterprise side of things, it's a lot more complex. I, I can't really get into detail the type of software that we build for them, but it's a lot Highly of, confidential? Uh, you know, yeah, maybe. Um, more operational, more logistics, process automation, trying to make things more efficient, trying to automate as much as possible. Can you, for the sake of listeners who don't know tech lingo that well, explain what enterprise is? Enterprise companies, think of them as just a lot bigger. Well, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Big companies, small companies. <laughs> yep. Tell us a little bit now about your main focus. You have a product now for helping to detect fraud. The original problem that we were trying to solve, I have a friend who was scammed by uh, a variation of the overseas, uh, you know, 
some people call it the Nigerian Prince scam. Um, there are many variations of this particular type of check fraud scam, um, but they're invariably the same in structure. Wait, you mean the Nigerian isn't real? <laughs> and he's not a Nigerian either. No, that's, that's where all of our money's been going. I guess I would posit that not, not everyone from Nigeria is a prince. Of course not. <laughs> um, and so... So her, her, we her, need you. If you can solve this problem for us, her, it'll save us a lot of money. Her, her version of the scam was called the mystery shopper scam. Um, and the structure is always the same. You get a check, you deposit it. The check funds are available 24 hours later. Um, you withdraw some of those funds. And some of those funds or a portion of them are either sent back to the person who sent you the check or they're used to buy something that has to be sent back to the person who sent you the check. A day or two later, the check will bounce. The money is uh, withdrawn from your account, and anything that you've sent back to the person who sent you the check, you can no longer retrieve. And, and this is a big problem in the banking industry. It's a $4 billion issue. So yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it, it, $4 billion, that's a lot of people who are still, after all this time, uh, you know, drawn into these scams. Well, and mystery shoppers are a real thing. So mm-hmm. it's not like a mystery shopper is not a bad business. It's just these scammers got the name and ran with it, right? There are also there are all different versions of it. There's the international business traveler scam. Um, there are too many to list. There are literally dozens of them. Um, and so we we set out to solve that problem for banks because this is not a consumer facing solution. This is something that we're selling directly to banks. So for retail banks. Uh, the product that we call Fraud Detect um, eliminates check fraud and synthetic identity fraud, specifically for retail banks. Uh, for commercial banks, it also will eliminate money laundering. You had some pretty funny stories, right, when you were testing this, right? So, oh, yeah. And it really proved out the uh, effectiveness of the technology. So yep. why don't you share one of those with us? We got an email from a so-called investor in Saudi Arabia uh, wanting to invest in U.S. tech startups. Uh, looking to invest a half a million dollars. Let me know if you have a project. So I get this email, and I know it's a scam. And I go over to Ian, and I said, finally, someone's trying to scam us. I said, Let, we're going to put uh, Fraud Detect to work. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, great. But it didn't follow the same uh, structure as, uh, as a typical check scam. When we finally came to an agreement, the investor, so-called investor, let us know that he runs his investment fund out of Turkey because uh, Saudi Arabia, Syria don't really get along very well with the United States. And in order for the check to clear, rather, in order for the wire transfer to come through to the United States, we needed to open up an international business uh, in Turkey. And it turns out that this is a $19,000 proposition, what, what this investor was asking us to do. And I said, you know, $19,000 is a lot of money. And so I forwarded the last email from our so-called attorneys in Turkey to this so-called investor. And the investor responded and said, yes, this is exactly um, what you need. You should, you should do it. And then I get another email back from the uh, lawyers saying, when you're ready, let us know. Here's our wire transfer information, you know, t- for us, obviously, to send them the $19,000 so that they can get started. You know, this is obviously where the scam would end because we're not going to uh, go as far to actually give this guy you know, $19,000. But we, the problem was that we couldn't figure out where is the scam. I went to Ian uh, into his office and I said, uh, here's, here's the email communication. I can't figure out the scam. I said, I don't understand. I'm talking to this law firm. I found them on my own. Uh, my friend has n- does not know this guy. Um, what's the deal? What, what had happened was when we forwarded the email from the lawyer to the so-called investor, they went ahead and bought a domain that matches as closely as possible the one that uh, of the real law firm in Turkey. So when we looked into it a little more deeply, we found that the dot-com version of the website had been registered the same day that we forwarded the email. Mm. Um, he had not opted for privacy protection, which was a big mistake on his part. We found out who it was. It was a guy who happens to live in Minnesota. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Nowhere close to Nigeria, by the way. Yeah. Was he even Turkish or Nigerian or anything? (laughs) No, just a regular American. (laughs) Wow. Unfortunately. Or Saudi Arabia, for that matter, right? (laughs) And I happened to have a a contact at the FBI, and we forwarded all the information to them. I I was told that progress has been made, and uh, it was discovered that uh, we were not, by far, not the first attempt, 
and that this person had a long history of similar scams. Who would be out the 19000 Would your bank or would the law firm or would you guys? In that case, it would have been us. Right? We would have been the ones who processed the wire transfer. Wow. In the case of the check fraud, the consumer, the person who deposits the check, is the one who's out the money. Mm. And there's nothing that anyone can do about it. So what is synthetic identity fraud? Is that just regular identity fraud or is it fake identity fraud? Think of it like this. <laughs> Let's say you leave your driver's license uh, laying around um, and I take a picture of it. And now I go ahead and I'm able to open up an online account, an online bank account in your name. I don't do anything nefarious with it other than opening the account, and I put a balance into it, and now I open up a credit card that's associated with it, and I'm not going to uh, buy a $50,000 car and just not pay the bill. I'm going to start building credit, and now I'm building a version of you that exists, but you don't know anything about it. That's called synthetic identity fraud. Wow. So. When the credit card companies run their checks to see if this is a legitimate person opening this account, they won't pick up on this Correct. because they have you're using the driver's license information and it looks authentic, right? Correct. And so we set out to build this product and then, you know, we realized that our tech wasn't strong enough and so we went back to the drawing board and started building the tech. This was in 2012. Hmm. We finished building uh, the engine in 2015. But then we had to spend about a year testing it. We needed to make sure that it did the thing that we said it could do. Mm. And so we had to do a bunch of case studies. We built some smaller fake products with uh, data that uh, would help us prove that, yes, this engine really does work. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt and our special guest, Joshua Weiss. We'll be back right after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And now a little bit of info about the rest of the show. We'll have a few more minutes speaking with Joshua and then go on to the pitch presentations. Tonight, we'll have three entrepreneurs pitch their companies. After the pitches, you, our listeners, can go to the Passage to Profit page at GearhartLaw.com and vote for your favorite pitch. That's Gearheart Law, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Don't forget also to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So everyone only gets to vote once, but the voting's open for a week. So you can spend the week after your show airs trying to get everybody you know to go and vote for you on the website. And just remember the name by imagining walking down a passage with a huge pot of gold at the end. Passage to Profit. And may your passage be short and your profit be huge. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> and if you, well, thank you. <laughs> if you want to be on the show, you can go to the website. We have a meetup called Passage to Profit Auditions, and we think we're going to make it into a virtual meetup. So you can Zoom in and you can pitch us through Zoom. We'll have dates and times when we can do that. And if it works, then you can be on the show. When you are on the show, you have to come into New York to do it, though. All we ask is that you have a website and that you promote the show on your social media. Tonight, we have, as our special guest, Joshua Weiss. During the break, uh, we talked a little bit, and one of the things that you wanted to talk about were some of the different projects that have come out of your work so far. So why don't you tell us about those? Sure thing. Um, the first is uh, what I have called previously our biggest mistake. So we had this problem. Uh, one of our Android devices that we were using for testing had broken. And I was about to throw it out. And my CTO stopped me and said, Josh, don't throw it out. I'm going to write a program that tricks this device into thinking that the volume button is the power button. And so... So wait a minute. The volume button 
is the power button. Right, so the power button on this device had broken. I see. Making it impossible to turn on. And so why would you want to do that? Turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> so you mean there's a lot of cell phones out there with broken power buttons. Correct. All right. Well, and, please continue. And so he wrote a program in about three hours that tricked the device into thinking that the volume button was the power button, thus saving the device. And so I said, hey, I wonder if other people have this problem. Why don't we just put it up on Google Play and see what happens? So that's, that's, that's pretty creative because, honestly, if the power button broke on my phone, I think I'd just, I don't know, I'd go to Verizon and say, give me a new phone, right? Because right. nothing gets fixed anymore, right? It's all... It wouldn't be give me a new phone. It'd be sell me a new phone. Or, or you <laughs> let me mortgage my house yep. and get a new phone. But right. anyway, please continue. So we put it up there. And the app became insanely popular. It is the most popular app of its kind. It's had uh, over a million downloads. Wow. And the part that was a mistake was that we opted not to charge for it. Oh, no. (laughs) And on Google Play, once you put out something for free, you can't change the price to pay it anymore. Wow. Um, Yeah. So that app alone could have underwritten our own product development. Oh. So that that was one mistake that we made. That but we it was a very creative again. idea and uh, very insightful that you saw that so many people would be interested in using this, right? So. so we have a different problem that we recently solved, and we're hoping that this one will also be useful, except this time we're not going to make that same mistake when we publish it. My problem is that when I'm on the train, uh, I'm not very productive because I don't have internet access. The hotspot that I had either didn't work very well or the speeds that I get are not really sufficient for real productivity. And I also don't like using public hotspots because I never really know who else is on them trying to hack my stuff. Being a fraud detection guy, I'm sure that's first in your mind, right? I'm super paranoid about it Yeah. in, in particular. The, the software that we developed, uh, we're going to call it Fetch. It enables um, any, it's essentially a software solution that enables any Windows or Mac-based computer to obtain internet access by tethering it with a charging cable to a smartphone or a tablet that does have internet access. Wow, that's that's awesome. So how can people find this if they want to buy it? It's not available yet. You would have to go to our website and subscribe that you would like to receive more information when it's available. So what is your website? Teleapp.com. That's T as in Tom, E as in Edward, L as in Larry, I as in Igloo, A as in Apple, P as in Peter, P as in Peter.com. Okay, so teleapp.com, and you've been listening to Richard Elizabeth Gearhart with Joshua Weiss on Passage to Profit, WOR 710. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearhart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit Gear GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. The next part of the show is the pitch portion of our show, and each contestant will have a total of eight minutes to make their pitch. The first two minutes, they fly solo and describe their project and put it in the best possible light. The remaining time is for the Inquisition, where they'll be challenged by Richard, Elizabeth, and Joshua to describe their project in greater detail and convince the audience their project is the best. At the end of the program, our listeners will be directed to the Passage to Profit page on the Gearheart Law website, where our listeners can vote for the pitch they like the best. So our first pitch is by Warith Juma with Passionate Rebel. Welcome, Warith. Thank you for having me. I'm the founder of Warif Juma. Passionate Rebel is a fashion and lifestyle brand who creates fashionable apparel that promotes self-direction and passion awareness. Uh, we try to create these um, these items to help inspire people to rebel against the idea of not following their passion. We also try to remind people that um, it's important to follow your passion because your passion is what stimulates your hustle. So as we um, 
move forward as a brand, uh, we just try to do our best to inspire people the best way possible. You're doing something special in February. Can you tell us about that? We've been invited to do uh, Fashion Week. This is our, our second uh, Fashion Week show. We're a part of uh, Walk Fashion Show, which is one of the, the biggest Fashion Week platforms for um, independent designers. So we're, we're definitely happy to be a part of that. Tell us what some of your passions are. Well, my main passion is is inspiring people. That's a a foundation that I've kind of established over the years, um, not only from myself individually, but also uh, from my family. So that's one of the main things I like to do. I I believe everyone wants to be motivated, um, even if you're just a regular person or somebody that's working a nine to five or if you're trying to start a brand. Everybody is looking for some someone to motivate them and just give them words of encouragement. How do you know if you're passionate about something? I think you know if if it drives you to to chase something down. If it uh if it if you think about it every day, if it follows you, if it if it haunts you, if it bothers you, or if it inspires you, is something that you really want to uh, pursue. So I think that's one of the ways that you know. Are you focusing on a particular age range? We're ranging from from the youth to to adults, and one of the reasons is because I've uh, I've learned through various conversations how a lot of people are looking to pursue their passions and their dreams, but a lot of people are discouraged because sometimes those those doors are closed to them. So, you know, even for the youth, the youth are entrepreneurs within their within their own rights, and they're trying to find ways to pursue the things that they want to do. But I guess you know, for a lot of kids today, um. You know, they're, they're not given the opportunities to do so. So, you know, for myself, I, I, I think about the, the youth and the older individuals who are looking to be inspired. So that's the shoes I want to fill for them. You sound like a great mentor to me. And I see that you're wearing a Passionate Rebel sweatshirt today. Oh, yes, yes. This is one of our new um, new hoodies that we're actually going to uh, put into to the Fashion Week show. So it says uh, Passionate Rebel, the property of Passionate Rebel's fashion department. I also have on one of our uh, Passionate Rebel University uh, medallions that I, that I got created. So what else are you going to have in Fashion Week? We're going to have some of our varsity jackets, varsity sweaters. We're going to have a lot of our hoodies, uh, some joggers. We actually just created our first denim overall Passionate Rebel jeans, so we're gonna we're excited to do that and show that. I asked about the passion part. What about the rebel part? The rebel is about, you know, rebelling against the idea of not being able to be who you are and follow your passion. So it's not like you're taking a negative stance and just doing things against the norm and just, you know, disobeying whatever rules or laws there it is. It's about, you know, you taking your passion and following what you want to do and you're not allowing anybody to stop you from from chasing that. If I wanted to buy uh, some of your apparel, is there a uh, place that I could go? Yeah, you can definitely go on uh, PassionateRebel.net, P-A-S-S-I-O-N-A-T-E, Rebel, R-E-B-E-L.net. Do you have any plans to go retail? Can I expect to see your apparel eventually in mainstream uh, box chains like Target? Uh, that was definitely one of the goals that I that I had um, when I first started the brand. I, I would love to see it in a, in a, in a Target or a Walmart or something like that. Um, but I mean, as far, as far as right now, you know, we're just doing a lot of things online. I also wanted to look into opening my own store one day. So this is a clothing line, but it's also kind of a movement, right? Yes. When I first started Passionate Rebel, I didn't want to go into the, the, the whole fashion world because I felt like fashion was uh, oversaturated because I feel like everyone has a clothing line. But I knew fashion would allow us to connect with people and fully immerse ourselves through. And... Honestly, fashion is what connects the world. How do people discover uh, your firm? Um, a lot of times it's word, word of mouth, social media. Um, I'm always on, on the go with Passionate Rebel, so that, that, was, um, that was another thing about you know, having this brand as a lifestyle movie because I wanted to venture outside of, of fashion. It just seemed like it just came uh, naturally. People just gravitate towards it or what we're doing, so a lot of people have invited us out to colleges high schools workshops we, we were hosting several workshops we're being asked to come speak at events at colleges and high schools so it travels with the presence and word of mouth one of the main presentations that i did give was at um at Rutgers university at their pre-college program in which mm-hmm. i spoke to about 60 kids Wow. 60 kids about just um, transitioning from high school to college not even just to college to the world of, of life and, you know, I just informed her that, you know, to be a passionate rebel, the name of passionate rebel and the logo of it, the bear is just showing and telling you guys is about 
graduating in life and acquiring more for yourself. So right. it goes outside of just the whole educational aspect because, you know, you may not be someone that wants to go to college, but there's, there's life outside of, you know, college or the normal things that we're told to do. So Yeah, I really did not like high school. <laughs> and I didn't really feel like I could be myself or follow what I wanted to do until after I'd graduated high school. So I think you're catching people at a good point in their lives. Yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely say that. And it's, it's so many people come to me like, man, you know, I wanted to start you know, this T-shirt line, or I wanted to open a bakery, and, you know, your words encouraged me. So, you know, that that has given me more f- more fuel to, to continue to, to do what we're doing. Have you thought about doing after-school programs? Uh, yeah, we're actually in the process of trying. I, I wanna, I'm going to speak it into existence um, of opening our own passionate Rebel University charter school. So we're working towards that, um, and hopefully for 2019, 2020. That's really awesome. Do you have sales of your clothing? Uh, yes, yes, yes. And I also I did. Um, I have beanies, everything. So it's a going concern. It's going yes. strong, and you're selling a lot, and it, people go to your website and people buy. People go it. to the website. People uh, come to the events that we're at, and they purchase. They buy. Maurice Juma with Passionate Rebel. I just have one quick question. So you have a gold colored sweatshirt on. Or hoodie, I'm sorry. Do you have all sorts of colors on your website? Um, we actually, we're re- revamping. I don't want to say revamping, but we're actually preparing for our summer uh, summer and spring look. So we did take a lot of our items down off of our site. But anybody that does want to purchase anything, they can definitely contact us through our social media, Instagram, Passionate Rebel. Um, and they can still go on the website and email us about anything that they see. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. For our second pitch this evening, we have Keith Fix, who's CEO of the company Retail Aware. Keith, you have two minutes for your pitch. Go. Retail Aware brings data and visibility into physical execution. Our sensor intelligence platform is one of the most complete ways that you can count people, track actions or product movement, and also receive alerts. Our idea is to really make it easier for brands and retail manufacturers to understand what's happening in the store when they deploy a fixture or they deploy product into multiple locations. So it's really about painting a picture about that, as well as triggering alerts and actions to field teams so that they can identify and resolve issues before they impact sales. So tell us how it works. Uh, You have a little box in front of you there. I wish we could uh, beam this into everyone's mind, but uh, (laughs) we've got our our core sensor. It's a little bit smaller than the size of a credit card. It's a little black, you know, it's literally a little black box. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. And the sensor actually gets, uh, you know, attaches magnetically onto the back of freezers or onto a shelf. And there's some core metrics that we're measuring, like audience. So how many people walk by the sensor, dwell time, how long are they spending, uh, product engagements, how many times product moves through the shelf, as well as additional factors like temperature, motion, vibration. And all of these things get fed up into the uh, they, they get fed up into the cloud, and uh, clients can access that data by logging into our back end uh, and viewing dashboards, or we can feed it into third-party systems like Tableau or SAP. I listened to the lady that invented Spanx a few years ago, and she was constantly going into the stores and checking that her product hadn't been shoved down on a bottom shelf back behind something. So this takes care of that, right? 
Yeah, physical execution is one you know one of the top concerns for new emerging brands, um, you know, and even existing brands as they roll out new products. Uh, you know, we're constantly moving, putting in fixtures, we're constantly putting in. Uh, you know, items in these stores. My past lifetime, I deployed into stores. So I was deploying in, into Target and, and, and wireless retail stores. And we'd go in and, uh, you know, stuff would just be missing or not done correctly or, you know, out of, uh, out of the way. So what we did is I said, there's got to be a better way. So with the sensor, we can track and we can say, hey, um, you know, our stuff is where it's supposed to be. Our stock levels are great. And, you know, it's ultimately going to produce higher sales for us. What's the uh, current state of affairs? Are you guys in any stores? If so, how many? You know, we currently went to market with a handful of customers and primarily in the grocery space. So we are actually just about to cross the 150 uh, city mark um, in about 44 different uh, retail brands. A lot of our customers are retail manufacturers. Uh, we have out-of-home companies and, uh, you know, and edge-use cases for the sensors. Uh, like, you know, we had a janitorial company that they just want to know when to clean the restroom. <laughs> so when you sell these sensors, you're selling them to the brand. So it's like Kellogg's, for example, would be the one who's buying the sensor, and they would put it in all of the stores that they think are important. And it's, you're, you're really not selling them to the grocery stores, right? Right. That was our go-to-market uh, strategy. As we've kind of evolved and we built additional partnerships, our goal is to continue to build in sensors into shelving and into these fixtures and freezers. So we're really laying out infrastructure that any brand or anyone selling into the store and the retailer themselves can just flip a switch and turn on. Is your path getting in touch with the business development and operations people, let's say at Target or Walmart, or is it more the companies that develop the shelving systems for them so that you're already built into the devices when they get into the stores? It's really been about... Uh, working with the brands themselves. But, you know, we've also explored working with the shelving manufacturers, the fixture uh, folks, and the shopper execution agencies. I noticed that the uh, sensors collect a lot of data. Yeah, so a great example we just had over this last Thanksgiving, we had a brand that uh, they have a frozen protein product, and uh, we saw a drop, we saw a significant double-digit drop in all their displays in a single day. So we that triggered calls to the store, and we found out that their fixtures were getting moved to the back to make room for turkeys. So what we did is uh, we engaged the brand, and the brand was able to work with the store directors to find placement for their fixtures in other parts of the store instead of being put in the back of the store on the busiest shopping weekend of the year. Wow. So do the brands pay for shelf space in the grocery stores? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, so they're not getting what they paid for if they're moved to the back. So you're helping them make sure that they're getting what they're paying for. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a whole supply chain. Our niche is really in the distributors and brands with direct ship to store um, has, has been where we've excelled, mainly because they're on the line. They're on the line for making sure product is stocked. They're on the line for making sure their fixtures are out on the floor. And, you know, the stores have a million things going on. There's only a handful of associates anymore. So this gives them another data point that they can use to uh, take action and ensure that they, they're constantly selling. What kind of data do you collect? Our data really revolves around performance of the display itself. So how many people walk by? How long do they dwell? And also product. So is, uh, you know, stock levels, how many people are pulling product out of the display. Those are our two primary drivers today. We also grab auxiliary data like temperature, uh, motion, vibration. So we can tell if that fixture has been pulled off or moved. We can actually tell that from our back end. How do you know if it's not just a, somebody crashing into the fixture or something? The way that it's done today is, we, you know, it generates an alert and that alert generates a follow up. And then we can reach out to the store and see, did something really happen? Which in the past, you know, there just really wasn't any way of knowing. When you're pitching a shelving company and trying to explain why they should use your sensors as opposed to one of your competitors, uh, talk about the thing that you guys do better than your competitors. Number one is our sensor requires no modification to the shelf. So I think you, I think we're all familiar with uh, you know Amazon Go and kind of this automated store of the future and this connected store. Well, our system gives you know gives some of that capability without extensive modifications to the shelf. You don't need a shelf weight, as well as uh, you know we don't use computer vision as our core tech. So there's not a million cameras that need to be installed. That alone gives us a leg up because this is low power and it's low cost. It's a lot easier to deploy and it's a lot easier for brands to realize ROI a lot sooner. Let's say I invented a new stuffed animal that I wanted to get into Hallmark, and I wanted to use this as just a very small startup entrepreneur. 
Is that possible? Absolutely. We have clients that will just buy one sensor to clients that buy thousands of sensors. And that's the beauty of the system is that it scales depending on the size and the need of the client. So one sensor is, you know, a few bucks a month. And so how do grocery stores react to this? I mean, how do they like it when you're calling their management <laughs> team telling them, hey, move this display back? We're, we're trying to actually save them time and save them money because at the end of the day, it's really about driving sales and creating a better experience for the customer. You know, we have retailers that are now saying, hey, uh, how else can we use this data? How else can we partner with you to make this available for our, some of our other high dollar products on the floor? So we really think that that's uh, a path forward for us. And we're excited just to be a part of the future of retail. Well, it sounds like an absolutely fantastic idea. Keith, tell us again, how can brands get in touch with you? Brands out of home, small retailers, one to a thousand sensors can get a hold of us at uh, www.retailaware.com. That's retailaware.com. You can go in and uh, soon on the site, you'll actually be able to just order a sensor. That's great. Keith Fix, who's CEO of the company Retail Aware. Thanks again, Keith, for being on the show. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR, and we'll be back right after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, We have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and trademark office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearheart. Our third and final pitch is by Ben Labra and Daniel Sosuna, and they have gesture. Welcome, Ben and Daniel. And we are the co-founders of a new app called Gesture. Uh, Gesture is an on-demand gift delivery app. So ultimately now uh, what you can do with Gesture is you can send thoughtful gifts to people. And the kicker is, is that we'll deliver it in as little as 30 minutes and we do it all for nothing more than $20. And that includes the, the shipping or the delivery, the, the cost of the product, everything. So basically you can go in there and you can select some group of categories. Let's say you want to wish somebody a happy birthday. You want to congratulate someone. You can select uh, even an apologetic category. For example, you want to apologize, maybe a breakup or something happened between you and your loved one. Jeez, I'd be sending something every day. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> you, um, so you go in there, right? And uh, Some even to myself. But <laughs> So you're presented with a bunch of categories you can select. You select a category and then you're presented with a bunch of gifts. It ranges from basic bouquet of flowers to really romantic roses. Um, you can also send some white wine, red wine, some champagne. And as the future progresses, you can send some nice little stuffy bears, you know, some, uh, some cake pops. Really cute stuff, really. We deliver the products in a very uh, fashionable time, um, in 30 minutes. That's our goal, to deliver the, the gift in 30 minutes. And all the gifts currently on the app are 20 bucks flat. You don't get charged more or less for that. So you never have to worry about forgetting someone's birthday again and remembering at the last minute, right? <laughs> no, no, that is uh, that's one of the beauties of it. And we've actually had some cases where our friends told us, "Yo, man, this really, really saved my day." <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. Well, well, why thirty minutes though? I mean, that's uh, that's a pretty tough target out there, right? There's a, a lot of different reasons on why we chose to um, specifically focus. We we've chosen to enter this on demand kind of um, field where there are so many different on-demand businesses that are out there. And, and we did a lot of market research, and it seems that with every on-demand, yes, you get the product right away or your food essentially right away. But ultimately, we've heard a lot of horror stories where the reliability has been an hour, hour and a half. And you know, uh, we wanted to make sure that we provided a certain types of service to our customers uh, that when they order something and they know that it needs to be delivered right then and there, we wanted to make sure that we fulfilled that promise to our customers. So on one side of the coin, you have to market to the vendors to list themselves and uh, enter their, their inventory, the things that they can sell, right? 
And then on the other side, you need to market to the consumers so that they know that this service is available. But you guys also have a third layer, right? You need the runners who are who are actually bringing the products from point A to point B. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how it is to market to three different segments? Ultimately, uh, we're business to consumer right now. And so exactly what you mentioned, we do market to uh, our customers to get as many gestures as possible. Uh, then there is the actual uh, vendor, I guess, kind of market segment, which actually has been a little bit easier than what we thought it was uh, going to be uh, in terms, or it was easier than harder, I guess, is the best way to put it. And so um, we've collected a ton of data based on um, different vendors that are out there. The cool thing with Gesture is we actually use uh, the small business. Uh, we, we get the flowers and we get some of our products at the same place that our customer can actually stop and pick up flowers from. So uh, we've been kind of a, a highlight in the small business community where they like that we're actually utilizing them. Um, and so they've been kind of signing up left and right with us, which is great. And ultimately, the G runners, as we like to call them, those are our couriers. So we've re- really blessed on that. Uh, we reached out to a few different people, and we found someone that has a lot of uh, experience in kind of the, the courier-based business, and he was able to to bring a lot of G runners to the table. And so we, we've actually been kind of it's been an overabundance with our gene runners, so we have plenty of, of staff to make sure and take care of those gestures that uh, that are ordered on a daily basis. So what kind of operations or logistics are involved to, I guess, number one, for payroll, right? Because now, meaning who's paying the runners? Are you guys paying the runners, or is this third-party service paying them? Yeah, so, I mean, everything is done, obviously, in-house um, in terms of, so it's, it's very similar to some of the other on-demand platforms that you hear about, your Uber Eats, your Postmates, your DoorDash. Uh, so we essentially pay our, our G runners the same exact way that they would get paid, even as much as a, a Lyft driver. Mm-hmm. So right now you're focusing on Manhattan, is that right? Yeah, so we, we are focused completely on Manhattan, actually, and I'll let actually Daniel fill you in. So when we first launched the application back in October 2018, we um, we launched from a very one of the most uh, popular spots, which was around from 14th Street to 59th Street. Uh, now with the recent update, actually today. <laughs> Uh, that update is going live. We're pretty much going half the city, um, all the way from the bottom of the city to 86th Street. And uh, the way we accomplished this 30-minute goal is that we've split the city up into certain layers, uh, so to speak. And uh, there are two applications. There's the user application and there's the G-Runner application. And, uh, you know, just to go back into that really, really reliable time period, uh, the G-Runner application pretty much tells the G-Runner where to go, where to buy the product, and how much it will cost them. So they have to do no thinking of their own. That's how we can accomplish that 30-minute margin. And so it's like Uber kind of in that you pick the G-Runner that's closest to where you need to be? Yeah, so we've actually, what we did when we built Gesture is we took a problem with both the consumer and the couriers, right? Uh, one of the problems with the couriers with a lot of other applications is like they will get an order and they'll be sent all the way to New Jersey. They'll be sent really, really far away and that was one of the biggest complaints that we had from them. So we've actually developed algorithms, obviously in-house, that caters to both the couriers and the users so we can make that 30-minute time frame, but also make sure the courier, it's not a disservice to him. So he's split and he's concentrated in his own location um, within, like, in the city, you know, any location that he kind of owns in the city. One of the cool aspects to gesture is there's no really thinking on the consumer's part. So they go in, we present them with almost just a very general basic uh, product selection, Uh, They choose chocolates, they might get something different every single time. So they're not going to get the same Stover's chocolate or the same Godiva chocolate. They might get something completely different the next time they send something out. And that goes for flowers or even a bottle of red or white or even champagne. So So they're just ordering generically or are they, so they're saying red wine. And the label that is actually shows up as the gift could be any one of three or four different red wines. Yeah, we've done a lot of research on, on what people um, expect when they get a gift, and it's it's more of uh, this kind of classic cliche. It's gesture <laughs> that counts. <laughs> One of the nice things about the thirty minute time frame is that you know maybe it's uh, somebody in an office across from you. You know that they're going to be there for another thirty minutes, and so you can get them the gift while they're at the location. If it's two and a half, three hours before it shows up, they may be gone by then, that, right? That, that's exactly it. And that was one of the other things in terms of an earlier question, why the 30 minutes? That was kind of the big big portion to that is just because you know that it's going to get there at a certain time. And we've had a lot of customer feedback state. So glad that we, I was able to send this right then and there. Do you see in the future a version that has a little more specificity? So like if I wanted to order a very specific item from a very specific store, 
um, would I be able to place that order? Now, I know when I, while I'm asking the question, that, that depends on the ability of the small business owner to enter his inventory into some sort of system. And that made me think that perhaps a future version of your software is interfacing with an API that they're already using in-house. Yeah, definitely. So I would say twofold answer on that. One, we are uh, developing different types of uh, products that customers can actually have more of a selection from, so it's not just kind of a uh, very general base. But then also the next biggest addition to what Gesture is actually coming out with is the enterprise side, which we're going to be servicing more of a B2B and providing those different services so an actual business can send another business kind of a thank you. So we're hoping to replace the thank you card with Gesture. Where can we find you? What's your website? So uh, the website is yourgesture.com. Yeah, Y-O-U-R. G-E-S-T-U-R-E dot com. And we are also on the App Store uh, for both uh, iOS and Android. Okay. Thank you very much. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guest, Josh Weiss. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearhart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W dot com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. Remember, everyone, to go to the Passage to Profit page at GearHeartLaw.com, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W, and vote for your favorite project. So to summarize, Warith Juma pitched Passionate Rebel, a movement to help you follow your passion. And Keith Fix pitched retail aware, IoT devices to help vendors monitor their products in stores. And finally, Ben Labra and Daniel Sosunov pitched Your Gesture, a 30-minute gift and delivery service. Now, Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. And remember, you can only vote once, and you have until next Sunday at 8 p.m. to vote. This evening's pitch contestants will receive a Passage to Profit t-shirt, which are awesome, by the way. And the best overall vote-getter for the week will get an Amazon gift card worth $25. Oh, better than nothing. So so before we sign off, thanks to everyone who participated today. I just love hearing these pitches each week and our guest as well. And I can't ever pick a favorite among the pitches. I was really impressed. And as always, we feel like we're moving into the future looking at these things. And that's what we love about doing what we do. And I want to say thanks again to our guest, Joshua Weiss who took us over the top in so many ways. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? I would say the same thing that my dad likes to say to me. Um, He likes to tell me that smart people learn from their own mistakes, but that geniuses learn from the mistakes of others. And then, of course, he'll add, and you, Josh, are no genius. (laughs) So my advice to the entrepreneurs would be to not just learn from your own mistakes, but be a genius and learn from the mistakes of others. Wow, if we could all do that, we'd all be rich, right? Yeah, and if we make mistakes, we have gesture now where we can deliver an (laughs) apologetic gift in 30 minutes or less. So I think we're pretty well set up on that. Yes, and we'd like to thank everyone at iHeart, our media maven Kenya Gibson, our producer Noah Fleischman, Rob the Engineer, and the whole iHeart team. Don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of great pitches. And you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. And please don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit, WOR 710, the voice of New York. Mm-hmm.